Turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. That was our scripture reading this morning. We're going to look at a famous passage in God's Word. It deals with the Messiah. Since it's almost Christmas, we're just going to be looking at some things dealing with the birth of our Savior and His coming as the the Savior and the King. And and this Old Testament passage is actually foreshadows the coming of the one who would rule in righteousness. And we look at this passage, we actually see that it talks about Jesus. The one born of Mary in Bethlehem is Jesus. And Jesus came as the Savior and the King. And we're going to see it. And the Savior, of course, deals with his first coming and coming as the King deals with his second coming. And we'll see how that ties together. Well, as we begin, you know, there are so many great songs and we just sang some incredible songs. Isaac Watts wrote a lot of songs. One of the most famous songs that he wrote is Joy to the World. And we go, Joy to the World. And when we sing Joy to the World, we always say, oh yeah, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. We think about the birth of Jesus Christ. But what we may not realize is this song has not only his first coming, joy to the world, the Lord has come, but it also has his second coming. The four stanza says, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. And it's talking about Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the hymn, this hymn deals with both comings of Jesus Christ. The first time he came to die and pay for our sins, the second time he comes as the king. And when we think about it, we think about the two comings of Jesus Christ. He came, he was born in Bethlehem as a baby to pay for our sins. When we think about it, the whole Christmas story is how God became a person. The perfect eternal son of God left the glories of heaven, came to the earth being born as a human being, and we'll talk more about it later, but born as a human being so he could die on the cross to pay for our sins. He also comes a second time. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We just saw that. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, verse 11, the heavens open and he comes as the king. We saw in chapter 20 how he rules for at least on this earth for a thousand years. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth and rule for all eternity. So when we think about Jesus, we think about not only the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, coming to be born to be our Savior, but he's also was born to be our king. And so as we look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, we will see the first coming of Jesus, the child is born, but we're going to also see the second coming. In this little passage, because the government will be upon his shoulders, and so it's fantastic. So let's get a little background. Isaiah was a prophet. All of you know that when you look at the Bible, you see the prophetic section: Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of those things. Isaiah was a prophet. He he's 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 probably the most famous prophet in the sense that it's the longest book. It's 66 chapters, and of course, as almost all of the books are, especially the prophetic books, the prophecy books, uh, the you know the prophets they wrote with a judgment and a restoration, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, and this, in fact, that's that's what this, Isaiah's message is a message of judgment and restoration. So when you read the book, and, and it's, let me just say this, the book is not in chronological order. And so as you read it, you'll see something that'll say in the third year of this king, and then way over here it'll say in the eighth year of this king, and then you'll come back and it'll be somewhere else, and it'll be the second reign of this king. And so you just realize, you just have to read through it, and Isaiah is giving a judgment the nation of Israel had turned away from God, and he's bringing a message of judgment that the people would ultimately go into captivity. And then he brings a message of restoration, that one day the Messiah would come, the nation of Israel would be saved, they would come to and they'd live in the land, and they'd live in the land uh, for the thousand years and then on for all eternity. Is this passage, this morning's passage, we actually see both. We see the promise of the restoration. And then we see them, uh, then we're going to look at that in verses 1 through 5. We'll go quickly through that. He actually says, there's going to be a great time coming. That's what he's saying to them. He's just told them there's going to be great judgment. Then he says, there's a great time coming. And then he talks about the Messiah. 
and he talks about who he is, and then he talks about what he does. And we'll see how that ties together. And then it ends with how all of this will be accomplished. So this is a kind of a special passage. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we look briefly, we'll start off with this, this whole restoration part. So let's look at that, the restoration, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. But there will be no more gloom. For her who is in anguish. No more gloom. There's going to be good things. There's been anguish. There's been rejection. There's going to be going off into captivity. Eventually they'll come back. But there's going to be a time that there'll be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. He said there was judgment. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He said there's going to be no more gloom. There's going to be a great time. And when you study the Bible, and sometimes we get confused, especially when we look at the prophets and we look at them, God says, I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge. And then he says, I'm going to restore, I'm going to restore, I'm going to restore. And that's exactly what happened. And we have seen it. We saw the nation of Israel taken off to captivity the Assyrians, the nation of Israel taken off to captivity the Babylonians. The nation of Israel was destroyed in AD 70 and the Romans scattered them everywhere. They've come back into the land. There's a restoration coming. This is the dry bones of Ezekiel. The nation of Israel is coming back into the land. And one of these days, of course, Jesus is going to take us out. There's going to be that tribulation time period. And the nation of Israel is going to turn to God. And that's going to be the restoration. And he's talking about it. He says, there's going to be no more gloom for who is in anguish. And he says, I'm going to make it glorious. And look what he goes on to say, and, and, and there's a great light. Notice what he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. He's talking about the, the Messiah is going to come. You know, it's amazing. He's talking about the northern part of Israel. Where did Jesus begin his ministry? We think about, well, he's born in Bethlehem, as, and, and then he went to Egypt, and then he came back, and then they moved up to Nazareth. And then all those years later, he's now 30 years old, and he starts his ministry. Where did he start it? What did he do? He changed the water to wine. Where was that? That was in Cana of Galilee in the northern part. This is what it says. The light is going to dawn. There's going to start being something great. He goes on and says in verse 3, You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase your gladness. You will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. They said it's going to be great time for everybody. He goes on in verse 4 and says, you'll break the yoke and the rod of the oppressor. And he's just basically saying, everything ultimately is going to be good. So as we start the Isaiah passage, if we'd been reading the book, we'd say, oh, there's some sad stuff. Oh, there's some really good stuff here. Oh, it's going to happen. There's going to be the light that's going to come. The Messiah is going to come. There's going to be that. Well, God is going to send this Messiah and the King of Kings. And we know who he is. He's Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior our Savior and King. So let's look at it. Let's see what he is like. How does Isaiah describe him? And we're going to see the Messiah, his person and his work. Who is he? What did he do? And it may surprise you, but in these two little verses, verses 6 and 7, it tells us who he is and what he does. And it actually tells us both of his comings, his first coming and his second coming. Let's look first at the person. Who is the Messiah? How will he be described? Look at verse 6. Let me just read it. It says, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. As we look at this verse, he's called a child, he's called a son, 
He's called a king. And then there are four names. I just put the word names there. But the four names are wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. So he's described in this passage. And let me show you something. Being a child is his humanity. Being a son is his deity. He's the God-man. Ruling, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And those four names tell about his character. So right now, we're going to look at what Jesus is like. What does Isaiah say this child will be like? And, and what's he going to be? So let me read verse 6 again. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. There's the child. There's the son. The government will be upon his shoulders. That's the rulership as the king. And his name will be called, and here are the four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Well, let's start and see, first of all, a child will be born. Now, sometimes when you read this verse, if you're not careful, you'll think it's saying the same thing. A child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us. They're not the same thing. A child will be born to us. This is humanity. This is the birth of Christ. A child will be born. This is going to be a human being. The Word will become flesh. The Word will leave the glories of heaven and come to the earth. It's important that Jesus Christ become a human being. A lot of times people say, what did it matter? Well, here's what it mattered. Because... All the animal sacrifices all the way through the whole Bible never paid for sin. Because the blood of a bull and goat can never take away sins. Animal sacrifices covered sin. Only a perfect human sacrifice could pay for human sins. Jesus Christ came into this world as the perfect human being. The perfect human sacrifice. That's why he had to be a human being. That's why he had to be a real person. And in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, let me read this to you. Here's the sign from God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child, going to be a human being, and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. That's who he's coming. He's, he's coming. And uh, let me just uh, read something for you. This is uh, in Luke, and you don't have to turn there, but it's in Luke chapter 1, which is a very famous passage. Verse 31, the angel has come to Mary. Here's what he says to her. He says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son. It's going to be a person. And he, you shall name him Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 34, where Mary says, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy child, this little person, will be called the Son of God. Isaiah chapter 9 says, there's going to be a child coming. It's going to be a human being coming. When we think of all the stories, and we think of this little baby born in Bethlehem, and we talk about there he was out there and put in a feed trough, and there he was, and that night the shepherds all come, and everybody comes and sees the baby. He's a human being. Jesus Christ is a human being. Now, he's God also. We'll talk more about it in a second. But he's a human being. People always want to be like God. Well, God became man. God became us. We're not through. For unto us... This child will be born. But there's something else. A son will be given. Well, that's the Matthew passage. A son will be given. 
Now, I want you to understand something. The Son is not born. The Son of God has always existed and always will exist. The Son of God is the eternal Jesus Christ who's always existed. When it says a child will be born, that's humanity. When it says the Son will be given, and notice it didn't say the Son will be born. It says the Son will be given. And in the Hebrew, it actually says to be placed. It's like God says the Son, Jesus Christ, from all eternity, I'm going to place him on earth. He's coming. He's coming. That's who he is. So notice the child, the son is not born. The son has always existed. All the way back in Micah chapter 5, and you don't have to turn there, but in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it basically says about Bethlehem, and it says this, this, this place, the Messiah is going to be born there. And we say, okay, he's a human being. But then it says something at the end of Micah chapter 5. It says, his goings forth are from all eternity. That means this son, this child born, this son given, has always existed. Do you understand that? That Jesus Christ, the one born in Bethlehem, that's not when he first started to exist. He's existed forever. And all of a sudden, God allowed the son to become a human being, the eternal son of God to become a human being. So, there is a child born, human, there is a son given, deity, and then there's a third thing. By the way, that's actions forever and ever. The third thing is he's the king. The government will be upon his shoulders. Look at verse 6 again. The child will be born to us, the son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That means he's going to rule everything. The government of the world will rest on his shoulders. Now you may say, what does that mean, to rest on his shoulders? Have you ever thought about that? Let me give you something. In a Jewish wedding, there's the groom and there's the bride and she has lace. She takes the lace off and she places it on his shoulder and saying, I'm coming under your authority. She rests upon his shoulder. The government of the world will rest on the shoulder of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king. He is the one. And that's why it's so powerful. Matthew says that he's born king of the Jews. If you've actually really read Matthew, he starts off by giving a whole genealogy and then shows him being born king of the Jews. All the way through the gospel of Matthew, they say, where's the one born king of the Jews? At the end, he dies as the king of the Jews. I mean, it's just amazing. That's who he is. Revelation 19.11, which we mentioned a while ago, which we've been seeing on Sunday mornings, he returns as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. A lot of people don't understand this, but the first time Jesus Christ came, he offered himself as king, and the nation of Israel rejected him. When he comes the second time, he's not offering. He's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's what it says. A human being will be born. The son, the eternal son of God, will be placed, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will rule Everything. Look, so the child born, that's a human. The son given, that's deity. The government on the shoulders of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now from there, there are four names that all speak of the Messiah and all give us his character. We've all read those. We know them. Let's look at them. It says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. The son who is born, the son, the, excuse me, the child who is born, the son who is given, the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, 
Prince of Peace. He's the wonderful counselor. The word wonderful is unique. It doesn't mean wonderful like we just go, oh, that's wonderful. This is the same word that when one of some, Jacob asked God, what's your name, what's your name? And he said, you don't need to know, it's wonderful, which means it's beyond you. He's the beyond you. He knows everything, and he knows what is best. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the one that we can come to anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything. This word wonderful has the idea of something that is even beyond what we could imagine. He always is there. Colossians says, in him are hidden all the treasures of the Godhead. So he's the wonderful counselor, but he's also the mighty God which talks about power and ability. The word mighty there has that same idea as power and ability that he can do anything. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. He is the provider. He's the protector. He is everything. He will bring to pass. He is the sovereign ruler of all things. He's the mighty God. Nothing is past him. Nothing will ever get past him. We studied the book of Revelation and we saw Satan and we saw the beast and the false prophet and we say, oh, they're so horrible. What happens? Jesus Christ comes and casts the beast and false prophet just like that. Casts him in the lake of fire. He takes Satan and puts him in a big hole, just like that. He's mighty God. He's the mighty God. Can you imagine the people in Israel in 700 B.C. reading that one is coming who is the child, who is the son, who is the king, who is the wonderful counselor and the mighty God? But there's something else. He's called the eternal father. And that kind of messes people up because they thought, I thought he's the son. No, no, this doesn't mean he's the eternal father in the sense that he's the father. It means he's the father of eternity. That's how it really means it. It means that he's always existed. He is the eternal one. He's always been here, always will be here. Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the eternal God. And finally, one more. He's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. He brings peace the one who brings peace. So many people want peace, especially at Christmas time. There are people, they're lonely, they're sad, they carry guilt, they carry sorrow, they carry anger. Something happened in their life, they didn't know what it wanted to be. They thought, they thought life would be different than this. Sometimes there's trees and presents, and even in the midst of everything and parties, there's no peace, there's no joy. He's the Prince of Peace. He brings peace, Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We were enemies of God. God, Jesus Christ, brings us back to God. He also gives us peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit, the peace of God. He's the Prince of Peace. Wow. So who is this? Well, who is this? He's a child, human being. He's the Son. He's God. He's the King. The government's on his shoulders. And he's the perfect one as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, and the prince of peace. Wow. So what's he going to do? That's who he is. What's he going to do? Well, we talk about his work, and it's based on his two comings. Think about that. We all know that. Now, don't get confused. Sometimes people say, well, I thought about the rapture. Isn't he coming and the rapture? Isn't there like first coming and then rapture and then second coming? Yeah, that's right. But the, first, the rapture is not coming to the earth. First coming to the earth, he came to die. Second coming to the earth, he comes to reign. In between, he comes in the clouds. He doesn't come to the earth. He comes to take us off. So when you look at the Bible and you look at the two comings of Christ, it's talking about the comings of Christ to the earth. That's why they call it Advent. The two Advents. This is Advent. We're saying Advent, but it's talking about the Advent of his first coming. When he comes the second time, we're coming with him. We're coming with him. 
So when we think about his worth, the first coming he came to be born to die, the second time he comes to reign. So look at this. Look at verse 6. Look what it says. The child is born. This is his curse coming. The son is given. Let me read something for you. I'm going to hold the place that I'm going to turn to Luke. Uh, I love Luke passages because uh, we know that that's the Christmas story. But Luke chapter 2, it says this. In those days, this decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inherited earth. And of course, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so there was this census going out, and Mary and Joseph were not, they were not married yet, actually. Uh, they were betrothed, ready to come. And so they, they were told, you better go back to your hometown to be counted. So everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, that's the north part of Israel, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, that's the southern part of Israel. Because why? Because he was of the house and the family of David. So they're on their way. They're on their way. And what happened? Why? In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. Now, if you lived in that day and time, and you knew those two were not yet married exactly, but she was with child, if you didn't know better, you would say, what is going on there? What is he doing marrying that kind of woman? But God has already told him, don't be afraid to take her. That which is conceived is of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. The Savior is born. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloth, laid him in a manger, for there was no room for them at the end. The manger is a feed trough. So they were outside, outside where animals were, outside where animals feed, and they put him in a feed trough. Mark chapter 10 says he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. John chapter 10 says, I've come to lay down my life. The one born in Bethlehem, promised by the prophet Isaiah, this is the one. So let me go back, to, and I'm going to turn back to Isaiah. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. There he is, the God-man, the eternal son of God who humbled himself to be obedient to being a person so he could die. So he could pay for our sins. Never forget that. That all of that whole aspect of Jesus dying on the cross all deals with his first coming. It all deals with the fact that he was born in Bethlehem as a baby so he could be, be a human being, so he could be the God-man, so he could take our place on the cross, pay for our sins. But there's more. Verse 6 again says, For the child will be born to us, the son will be given to us. And then here's the key. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. And then it goes down in verse 7. And this is the second coming. This is Luke. That's the Luke passage. First coming birth, the, the child was born to pay for sin. But the second coming, he's coming to reign as the king of kings and lord of lords. Look at verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. You understand his government never ends? Notice it goes on to say, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and evermore. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me read something to you again from Luke chapter 1. 
when the angel was talking to Mary, he said this. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's the king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There's no end to his government. That's Luke 1, 31 through 33. He will take the throne of his father David. We have been seeing in Revelation chapters 19 and 20, Jesus coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19, 16 says, and written on him is King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. First coming as a child born to pay for sin. Second coming, the son is given as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How will this happen? How will this be brought about? If, you, and if you're still in Isaiah, it says at the end of the verse, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How will it be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord. The Lord's going to do it all. In fact, the name for Lord there is the personal name, Y-H-W-H. It means the Lord, the eternal God, the perfect righteous one, the personal God who loves us. See, a lot of people don't understand that God is personal. They think God's like Star Wars. He's just some force somewhere. You could talk to him, but he's like a force. No, he's a personal God. He knows you. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He is the one that will bring about this. He is the one that brought Jesus Christ into the world and where Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin. He did all that. He's going to bring Jesus again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to rule in righteousness and justice. And that's why. How does he do it? God so loved the world. That he gave his son Jesus Christ to do what? To die on the cross to pay for sin and to rise again to conquer death. He is the Savior. Jesus entered the world the first time to die on the cross to pay for sin. He will enter the world a second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me give you some applications. This Christmas, let's come to the one who can meet our needs. Who is he? He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the eternal father. He's the prince of peace. Jesus Christ has the answers. How is that? Because he's the Savior. He is God who became a man. He is the child born, but the son given. I hope and pray, and I know almost everybody in this room, but there could be someone in this room who's never understood what Christmas is all about. That when Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and became a little baby and was born in Bethlehem, that all happened so he could grow up being a perfect human being, the God-man, the God-man together, the son who was given, the child who was born, and he died on the cross for our sins. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, no matter your age, no matter what, that you understand that when you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you the gift of eternal life. You understand he died and rose again for you, and he offers to you a gift. The gift is not, it is not works, it's not what we do, it's a gift, and it's completely free, and you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He indeed is the king of all the earth. He is the majestic one. I hope and pray that everyone in this room has already believed in Christ for eternal life and that when you think of Christmas, you think of the birth of your Savior, the one. I hope and pray that is true. Second, just remember, let's remember why Jesus comes to the earth. Two things. One, to die and rise again, to pay for sin. That's why he came the first time. Second time, he comes to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of us who know him, all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, we're going to come with him as the king. 
and going to rule in righteousness and justice. So when we think of Christmas, we think of Isaiah. We think he is the God-man, the Savior and the King, the one who died and rose again to pay for sins, to give us eternal life, the one who will come and rule in righteousness and justice.